We're going to stay in the book of Acts just for a few more weeks. And so if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 13. Basically, the bottom line of what we're going to talk about today is this. Is that God has given you a mission. And so that means that every one of us is a missionary. God has given you a mission. And that means every one of us is a missionary. In 1987... My family moved from a place called Newport in South Wales to a wonderful place called Wolverhampton. We went from being like the whitest city, living in the whitest city in the world, to going to the most multicultural place in the world. And I'll be honest, I was an eight-year-old boy and I didn't know what to expect. I went into school and there were Sikhs and there was Hindus and there was Muslims in my school and I was freaking out because I thought, what on earth have my parents brought me to? Well, we moved into this house and it's this beautiful house, but when we moved into it, there's this old lady who'd lived in there for like 80 years and it had been run down and we needed to, to do like change everything in the house. Um, but next to the house, there was this vacant piece of land. And my parents had the opportunity to buy this vacant piece of land when we bought the house, but they just didn't have enough money at the time. So this builder uh, decided to buy the piece of land, and he built this, started to build this house on this vacant piece of land. Well, in the UK, they build houses a little different to how they build them here in the United States. Here in the United States, is all about how quick we can get the house up so we can move out and we can start building another house. So we get like these uh, big like pieces of timber and we frame the house and bam, in two weeks, we've got a brand new house, right? Almost. Well, in the UK, it's a little different because they don't frame houses in the UK. Instead, they basically start from the bottom up. They, start, uh, they, they fill the foundation and they start with bricks. And they just lay one brick at a time. Like Cody in our church, he's a, he, he, he's a, a masonry, right? And, uh, and, and Cody would like have like nonstop business in the UK because everything is bricks. And because the weather's just so bad, they just don't like to use wood. And so as an eight-year-old boy, I started watching this house get built. And so they started and they started uh, getting these big stones and, uh, and, and started building up the house and putting bricks around it. Well, as the house got higher and higher, they started to construct this stuff around the house that was uh, made of metal, like these metal pipes, and then they had like these wood planks on them, and then they had these ladders going up to the wood planks. And I'd watch these builders, and the builders would start getting up these ladders onto these wood planks, and they would be using these wood planks to lay more brick and more brick and more brick. And so, myself being the mischievous eight-year-old boy I was, when the builders went home, I would sneak out the house, go next door, and start running around on these planks and, uh, 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 and, and, and all this uh, uh, metal, and I would start sliding down and, and climbing up it, and then I would invite my friends over, and then we would jump off from, that, from, from those planks onto our neighbor's hedge, and we'd get into trouble, but we loved it. Even one time, when the house got so high, they built all this stuff up and I slid all the way down on one and there was this big bolt and not to gross you out this morning but it went right through my stomach and like like my stomach started bleeding and everything but I didn't want to tell my mom because I would have got into trouble and I was a brave eight-year-old boy well what I discovered that thing was called scaffolding and what scaffolding is, it's something that is used by builders in order to help them to get to another level in building the structure. 
And what I discovered is that you've got to be very careful in using scaffolding. An eight-year-old boy should not be running around on scaffolding. But I was. But what what I discovered that as fast as the scaffolding went up, one day I looked out and the scaffolding had come down. And in its place was this beautiful brand new home. I discovered then that scaffolding is not permanent. Scaffolding is temporary. And it's temporary for a purpose. And the purpose is to help the builder build a structure. And as I look upon the journey that we as a church, Generation Church, have been on for the last two and a half years. Some of you have been with us for that that amount of time. Others have joined us uh, along the way. Some of us have joined us this past year. Well, what I've discovered is that I feel for a long time our church has had scaffolding around it. I feel that we've had different things in place to help us build structures. Let let, let me tell you, when we first started the church, Raquel and myself did everything almost. Well, it felt like everything. We, uh, uh, we, we made the coffee, we uh, put the signs out, we uh, did the finances, we, uh, uh, we preached, we led worship, we did the kids, and we did everything. Well, I'm happy to say that, I mean, we still do a little bit, but it's spread because we built structures around so that other people are doing other things. And I feel that for these last two and a half years, many people have been doing many different roles in just a temporary setting. They haven't been really fitting in the place that God has for them because we've been building this structure. However, as 2013 is upon us, I feel that this is the year that the scaffolding needs to come down. And we need to start moving forward and start multiplying as the Bible instructs us to do. You know, last year we went through half the book of Acts. And we got to chapter 12 in the book of Acts. And what we discovered in those first 12 chapters of the book of Acts is that there was this thing called a group of disciples that suddenly, in a very short period of time, formed into a church. And we saw how a church was started, how a church was formed. We we discovered the essential structures of a church. And and I defined them into four areas, and that was prayer, uh, community, discipleship, and reaching out to your community around about you. We discovered that everybody in the church needs to be involved, that there's no spectators, that everybody is part of the church, and they need to be involved. We discovered what happens when men like me decide to get out of the way, and we let God have his way, and lives are transformed and changed, and communities find Jesus. However, for all the good that happened in the first 12 books, uh, or first 12 chapters in the book of Acts, I believe that God had a greater plan than those first 12 chapters. What I mean by that is that the church was in a city called Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a Jewish city. And, and this church that had been formed, it was almost like scaffolding around the church that God wanted to build. And what I mean by that is that the church had its celebrities. Everybody looked to a man called Peter. There was James. There was John. There was the likes of Stephen. And they were like celebrities in in their community. And everyone looked to them in order to reach out to their community. It was through the words of Peter that 3,000 people one day joined the church. 
They, they were limited in who they could reach out to because they were Jewish people in a Jewish community and they were reaching out to people in Jewish ways. They were very one-dimensional in the way that they did church. And I believe that God's plan for the church was that it would spread. Jesus said to the disciples, he said that you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem, which was the city, to Judea, which was the region that they were in, to Samaria, which was the region next to, to them, and then to the ends of the earth. God's plan was not that this church would stay in Jerusalem. God's plan was that this church would spread. And not only that, God, I believe, did not want to use just a few celebrities like Peter and James and John. But God wanted to use unknown multitudes of people to form a relevant community within the confines of the culture that that church was in. And we see in chapter 13 of, of, of Acts that the scaffolding starts to come down in the church. And they start to, we start to see this structure, or this, 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 this building that will start to, to, to be a foundation for the years that are to come. So if you've got your, book, uh, if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Acts chapter 13. Just to let you know, give a background story, the church had started to suffer persecution. People, after Stephen, Stephen got, uh, got killed and others started to receive persecution. And so the church started to spread. And the church ended up, or people from the church ended up about 300 miles north of Jerusalem in a place called Antioch. And this is what happened at Antioch. It says, among the prophets and the teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon called the black man, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day these men were worshipping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on Saul and Barnabas, and then they sent them on their way. So the, the church had been formed in a place called Antioch. And I believe Antioch was a place where the scaffolding had come down. They didn't rely on just a few individuals to, to reach their city, to reach their community, to spread the good news of Jesus. Instead, they used everyone in the church. I believe the church at Antioch had a motto. I'm not sure if they did, but if they did, I think the motto would be this. We're a church that sends instead of gathers. A church that sends instead of gathers. If you look at the majority of churches in the United States, and this includes us, we are known on a Sunday morning for gathering people together. Gathering people together. From all different walks of life, we gather together on a Sunday morning. And that, that, that's what the name of a church is. The church in the book of Acts, uh, or Jesus, called the church an ecclesia. And that means it's assembly or a gathering of people. But the people at Antioch had a different mentality. Their, their, their motto or their goal wasn't to gather as many people as possible. Their motto was to send as many people as possible. And, and the members of this church, they were commissioned to go out as missionaries. 
And this is what they did with a, a young man named Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, and a young man called Barnabas. And they commissioned these two men to go out and become missionaries to different communities. The elders of the church, they laid hands on them, and they sent them on the mission. And the mission was this, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ at all costs. And then the rest of the book of Acts is all about different individuals who are used by God to bring the gospel to people who had never experienced it before. So the question is this morning I have for you, what is a missionary? What is a missionary? Paul and Barnabas were sent as missionaries. What is a missionary? Well, I've got a real short, uh, concise definition for you. A missionary is someone who is sent on a mission. Someone who is sent on a mission. Now, when I think of missionary, or someone, sorry, when I think of someone sent on a mission, sometimes we can think of like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible or or we can think of Tom Hanks being stuck in space with, a, like, Apollo 13 and things like that. The mission's a little different to that. Did you know that every one of us has been given a mission by God? We've been given a mission by God. It's not some secret mission that, you know, we need a headset and, you know, someone talking in our ear and we, you know, pretend to be a spy or someone else. But the mission is clear. And the mission is this. It's found in Acts chapter 1. The Bible says that you shall be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You shall be my witnesses. And going all the way back when we looked at Acts chapter 1, if you were here when we did that, we talked about how as a witness, we are to tell our version of events. We're to tell our story. That is our mission, to tell our story, to tell what God has done in our lives. But it's a little bit more than that as well. Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 to 20 tells us, he says to the disciples, he says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them my ways. Teach them my ways. So that means that as believers of Jesus Christ, our mission is this. It's to go and tell It's to go and show, and it's to go and give the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by the gospel is just the good news of Jesus Christ, and that is Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. He has died for the sins of mankind, and this same Jesus who died rose again and one day will come back as a king. That is the good news of Jesus And the good news is this, is that anyone who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall receive eternal life. And so that is our mission, to go, to tell, to show and give this good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I always used to think when I thought of missionaries, I I always prayed, God, never call me to become a missionary. And the reason I, I, I thought that or prayed that is because for so many years, missionaries would come into our church. And I'll be honest, just be very honest with, 
this morning. Growing up in a church, we'd have missionaries almost like every other Wednesday. And they were the most boring people in the world. We would sit in church, and they would come with like their old like slideshow before we had like projectors. And they would just show picture after picture each Wednesday night of just the place that they were at. And you could see that they were living in poverty, and they didn't eat very good food, and the clothes that they wore weren't very good. And just being a very materialistic kid, I was just like, God, please never call me as a missionary. Because when we think of missionaries, we think of going to Africa or Asia or South America or go to the Eskimos or or somewhere that is thousands of miles away in a totally different culture than what, what we've ever experienced before. But the reality is this. The truth is that the majority of missionaries never go more than five miles from their own home. And that is because every one of us are missionaries. Because a missionary is someone who is sent on a mission, and Jesus Christ has given every one of us a mission. The greatest missionary of of them all was a man called Paul. Paul went to places that we would not even want to imagine of going. He was involved in shipwrecks. He was prisoned, he was beaten, he was run out of town. He went from place to place. But this man was the greatest missionary of them all because he understood his mission. And that was to spread the good news of Jesus. But not just that, he understood what it took to fulfill his mission. See, it's all very well having a mission, but if we don't understand what it takes to fulfill that mission, then we will fail. But Paul didn't fail. Paul succeeded. And this morning, very quickly, I just want to show you how Paul succeeded in his mission. How Paul fulfilled the mission that God had given to him. And the first thing is this. And if if you've got any notes with you, you may want to write these down. But the very first thing is this. Paul embraced his culture and didn't reject it. He embraced his culture and didn't reject it. Let me show you. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in a city called Corinth. And he says this. He says, even though I am a free man with no master. Remember, this was a time when there was lots of slaves uh, around. He said, even though I am a free man with no master, I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to that law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who were under the law. When I am with the Gentiles, people who aren't Jews, I do not follow the Jewish law. I too live apart from the law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share with their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I find the common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Paul was a Jew. 
And that means as a Jew, there were certain customs and certain laws that he had to follow. But then Paul one day met Jesus. And he realized that the law that he once followed was not a law that he was bound by anymore because the grace and the mercy and the love of God had freed him from that law. But yet, Paul says, when I live amongst the Jews, I live as a Jew. I embrace their culture. I embrace their customs. The way, the things, the foods that they eat, the things that they wear, the things that they say, how they worship God, I embrace it because I want to win those Jews for Jesus Christ. But yet, Paul, being a Jew for the majority of his life, he lived in non-Jewish cities. Cities where, where the Jews weren't the majority. And if Paul had, had uh, um, insisted on his Jewish lifestyle, then Paul would have only ever been able to reach a few people. In each city, the Jewish people, he would have only been able to reach the Jewish people. But Paul decided, when I'm in a, in a non-Jewish culture, I'm going to live as the non-Jews. I'm going to eat as the same as the non-Jews. I'm going to dress the same as the non-Jews. Why? Because he realized that in order to fulfill his mission, he had to be able to reach out to people within the culture that they were in. Paul recognized the importance of relating to those he was trying to reach. You know, in 19, uh, sorry, in 2005, I got on an airplane, July 4th, 2005. I got on an airplane, packed my bags, and left the United Kingdom and came to the United States. I realized that we spoke the same language. We had very similar things in our culture. I had watched American TV all my life. Friends and the A-Team and Dallas and Dynasty growing up. I mean, I'd watched all these shows. I knew American culture. But I remember within a couple of weeks of moving here, it was a little twisted because I'd moved to uh, a state called Missouri. And if you've ever been to Missouri, it's just a little different in Missouri. But anyway, I'd moved to the United States, and I suddenly realized within two weeks, I was in a totally different culture. The clothes that I wore in the UK were now not appropriate to wear here. That's what my wife told me. I remember in the UK, the whole fashion in 2005, guys were to wear these three-quarter length like pants. And my wife says, you can't wear those over here. I'm like, why? They're cool. Like All the cool kids are wearing them. And she was like, just trust me. You can't wear three-quarter length pants. And I realize now, no, I should not have worn three-quarter length pants. It's the same like, like, like all the rage, like skinny jeans. I'm like, I'm not wearing skinny jeans. But it was more than just clothes. I realized the words that I was saying people did not recognize. I still have the problem from time to time, but it's a whole lot better than it used to be. I realized that, that I was actually getting sick from the food I was eating. Because in Missouri, they eat something called chicken fried steak. And if you've ever had chicken fried steak, you know it's going to make you sick the next day. And we ate a lot of fried food. I, I, I realized that the way that we did church was totally different 
to how this new American culture that I was in was doing it. And I had to learn to adjust, and it took a long, long time to adjust. And many people say, no, you just need to keep your British roots. And, you know, and people say, you're losing your accent, you need to keep it. And I understand that, but I know that God has called me on a mission. And for this moment in my life, God has called me to reach out to Americans. And if I need to reach out to Americans, I need to live and understand and embrace the culture of Americans. I can't live like some crazy Brit just thinking that we will rule the world. Because I'll never be able to reach anybody. And I understand now what Paul was saying to the Jews, I live like a Jew. To the Gentiles, I'm a Gentile. And I'm the same when I go back to Britain. You know, I live like a Brit. But here I understand I have to live like an American if I want to reach out and relate to Americans. And the truth is, is as your pastor, I can only reach a small number of people. There are many in this culture that I just can't relate to. I'll be honest that, you know, some of you guys, if you're from North Hartford, man, your culture is way different from mine. And I love you guys, but, you know, that whole deer hunting thing, I just don't get it. But I can only reach a small number of people. But as a community, as a church, we can embrace our culture and we can relate to everyone in our culture. We can resonate with them. Because we are called to go and reach them. And this morning I encourage you, don't reject the culture like many have done in the past. Many churches, they just reject the culture. They say we don't want to be part of it. We're going to like close our doors and not let any of the culture come in. We're going to be ourselves. Well, they're not going to reach anyone. But if you be like Paul, you embrace it. Don't reject it. It doesn't mean that, that you disobey the laws of God. It doesn't mean that, 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 that you just become some wild party animal and just do whatever everyone else is doing. It just means that you become relational and you relate to those people. Paul also understood that it wasn't just embracing the culture that would reach people. Paul also understood he had to practice what he preached. He had to practice what he preached. Look at this, in Acts chapter 14 and verse 1 to 3. It says this. It says, the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. You see that? They preached the message. And God proved to the people that what they were preaching was true. Because Paul and Barnabas showed it. And then in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 to 20, it says this. You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make plans carelessly? Do you think I'm like the people of the world who say yes when they really mean no? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you does not waver between yes and 
No, for Christ Jesus, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God ultimate, yes, he always does what he says. For all of God's promises have been filled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. What Paul is saying here, he's saying, if you say yes to somebody, let your yes be yes. Don't turn around and do something different to what you say. If you say no, don't turn around after that and say yes. What you say, let your word be your word. And as we bring this into, in, into the uh, context of being a missionary and being on our mission, the words that you say to people, the life that you live, have to show the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what that means, it means that even if we don't want to forgive, we have to forgive. Even if we don't want to love, we have to love. Even if we don't want to be patient, we have to be patient. But the words that come out of your mouth, the things that you show with your lifestyle, let them be in context with what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Do you know why? Because if it's not, when you tell people about God or tell people that that you are a Christian or tell people that they need God in their lives, they are not going to believe what you say. But if they see it in your life, then they will believe. And this is exactly what Paul did. Paul embraced his culture. He didn't reject it. But he also practiced what he preached. And then finally this morning, the Apostle Paul He relied on the power of the gospel. He relied on the power of the gospel. Let me show you what I mean. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 44, it says this. It says, The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear Paul and Barnabas preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout the region. So you've got Paul and Barnabas, and they are out preaching the good news of Jesus. And they suddenly turn to the Gentiles, the people who weren't Jews, and they start preaching to these Gentiles. And these Gentiles start flocking towards them and start giving their life to Jesus Christ and their lives are changed and their lives are transformed. And this is exactly how Paul did it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, it says, For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but he sent me to preach the good news, the gospel. And not with clever speech, for fear that the cross would lose its power. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 5, it says, When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. 
For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Christ Jesus, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain, rather than using clever words and persuasive speeches. I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. There was something unique about this man, Paul. Paul was a very intelligent man. Paul could argue with anybody, debate with anybody. He could use words that we, could, we would have never heard of. But Paul decided to strip it all down and just give the simple gospel. Because Paul realized that the power was not in the messenger, it was in the message. And for Paul, if he started using all these other gimmicks and ways to tell the message, then it would just cloud out and and it would dumb down the power of the gospel. Paul understood that his weaknesses, and he realized that the only way that people could experience the good news of Jesus was by giving the message of Jesus. You know, we have a message to tell. And the message is this, is that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the the Father except through Jesus. And if we try to disguise this message through different methods, it will fail. But if we just give the plain, simple gospel in a way that people can understand, then it is powerful enough to change lives. And you know, I, I, I love creative things. I love them. I love creative designs. I love creative music. Uh, I, I, I love thinking outside the box and doing things differently. I'm not someone who likes to copy other people. But what I understand is this, is that sometimes my creativity or my liking for creativity can often get in the way of the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reality is this, is that the gospel is enough to change lives. The message of Jesus is enough to change lives. And if we just do it in a way that people will understand in the confines of our culture, if we practice what we preach and give the message of Jesus Christ, then that will change lives, that will transform communities, that will break people from addictions and bring families to Jesus Christ. Because it is the power of the gospel. You know, after Paul and his friends had gone all over Europe and spread the gospel, they came back to Antioch. They didn't do it to retire or because their mission was over. But they came back to, to rest, to strengthen others, and to encourage. We haven't got time to read it this morning, but you can read in Acts chapter 14, starting at verse 21. That Paul and Silas, they, they, uh, Paul and Barnabas, they came back to Antioch. And the Bible says that they, shared their, they spread their stories or shared their stories of what God had done. They encouraged others. And I believe that's what Sunday mornings are for. The church at Antioch was not a church that gathered. It was a church that sent. But they did gather to strengthen. They gathered to encourage. And they gathered... In order to give faith to other people and lift people up. And I believe that's what Sunday mornings are for. 
When we come here and we gather in this place, it's not primarily so that we can reach the world for Jesus Christ. Because the reality is in our culture, people do not want to come into church on a Sunday morning. We come to strengthen, to encourage, to lift each other up, to pray for each other. And then to send each other on our way on the mission that God has given us. And that's to go and tell the world about Jesus Christ. You know, this mission was not just for Paul. It's our mission as well. And at the start of 2013, uh, I've been praying extensively about, God, where do you want to take us this year as a church? We know where long term you want to take us, but this year, where do you want to take us as a church? And I came up with a theme for 2013, and the theme is this, everyone a missionary. Everyone a missionary. Not just one or two, but every one of us a missionary. And what this means is that everything that we do and say this year will be focused on our mission. And what we do, we will do it within the confines of our culture in order to reach people right where they're at. And the bottom line is this. God has given you a mission. And that means every one of us is a missionary. And so 2013, every one of us, my prayer is that every one of us will embrace becoming a missionary for Jesus Christ. And what that means, that means that we will reach people right where they're at. It means we won't come with with, with ways that people won't understand, but we will give the message. We will show the gospel in a way that people will understand. Just as if you were going to Africa or Asia. If you were a missionary, if you were a woman and you were going to Saudi Arabia to become a missionary, you couldn't dress like an American. You would have to wear a headscarf. You you would have to wear the clothes that they wear. And exactly the same in our culture right now. In order to reach our community, we must embrace and become like missionaries and find out the best way to relate to people and speak to people and tell people about Jesus Christ. Let's pray.